Acts chapter 4, <laughs> beginning in verses 1 through 12. I've entitled this, What is Appropriate for, for You to Do to a Pastor on a Sunday Morning? <laughs> beginning in verse 1. As they were speaking on the porch of Solomon in the busiest time of the day, with a lame man leaping, as they were speaking to all of the people, the the Sadducees, the priests, and the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of men, not including women, the number of men came to be about 5,000 total that had come to know the Lord in the last few days. On the next day, their rulers and elders and their scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and his son John and Alexander, who were all of the high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire by what power or in what authority, what name do you do this? Because you're not doing it in our name. You're not doing it in our authority. Verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers, elders of the people, if we are on trial today for, the, for, a, for a benefit done to a sick man... As to how this man has been made well, well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, here's the name, but by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified and God raised from the dead, by the name of this man stands before you in good health. He was the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation. You want to talk about names again? There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful application to hear if we peel back all of the historical context and and, and word studies that's going to pop from this. So we're going to need the ministry of the Holy Spirit for that. So let's ask... Uh, have a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We know that apart from You, we will never fully understand it. But we also acknowledge our human responsibility that we are to study, to show ourselves approved, to hide Your Word in our hearts. That we are to be approved workmen who are not ashamed to have an answer in season and out of season. Father, we pray that Your Holy Spirit would not only teach us Your Word, but that His ministry would be clear in our lives, which is Christ is exalted. We acknowledge that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus Christ. So I ask, Lord, in Your name, through Your power alone, not of any work I can provide, I pray that my church family would show evidence of your presence by the way we talk, live, and exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Start with me. And so, Father, I pray these things and I ask them in your son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning, say amen. Amen. So let's set the stage, a stage that... Uh, will be built by remembering all of chapter 3. So we're going to go through all... No, I'm teasing. We need to remember the context of chapter 3. Peter and John are still on the steps near the walls of the temple 
with a fully healed lame man leaping like a deer. By the way, the entire Jewish community knew this man um, very well. He's in his 40s. He's been lame since birth. So everyone knows who this man is. He is leaping like a deer, and Peter and John are proclaiming the message of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead. That's a very important point. I want you to grab the resurrection there. Now let us remember precisely where all of this is happening. They are on the porch of Solomon. This is a great hall. You see an artist's conception here. This is what it would have really looked like in the day and age there. A great hall filled with majestic 60-foot marble columns that reached up into the air and at 60 feet of height. If I could put that in perspective, the ceiling in this room is around 35 feet. So almost double this of columns going up nearly 60 feet and and it it came to a roof that was made out of solid cedar. And it, it wrapped around kind of the eastern side of the temple walls there. Everything that was going on was being amplified and reverberated through the entire outer temple area. Now, let us remember, there is another side going on to all of these things at the same time. So while Peter and John are proclaiming, the lame man is leaping, he is glorifying, they are literally in an amphitheater, if you will, and it's echoing through the courtyards, there is another side going on. Many of these priests, which come from the Sadducees, in the temple were ordinary priests from the outside area synagogues who were given the honor to serve a a time slot in the temple every once in a while during the year. In fact, MacArthur writes, it was considered a high honor and a privilege that you anticipated all year long as a common priest outside in the foothills working in the synagogue. It was anticipated all year long 24 priests were chosen at any given time, and they were divided into 24 different groups, and and they would each be given a time slot. Now imagine you're one of these ordinary priests, okay? This is the other side of things going on. Pick a a small figure uh, back by the temple over there. You're one of these Sadducees, one of these priests. And your time slot has finally come up and you are serving in the greatest temple ever built. And not only are you interrupted, but the people you serve are not coming to you. And there is a huge disturbance in the temple being amplified by the porch of Solomon. Everyone is listening to these two uneducated Galileans and who were not educated in the rabbinic schools. And your opportunity in the temple is being all messed up. And then, on top of your moment being tainted, you hear the words, Jesus has been resurrected. If you were a Sadducee or a priest during this time, I want you to grab this. There would be three three things. (laughs) Follow me, people. All right? Stupid cake. Three things. that. So three things. Just edit this out, all right? Are we live? We're out. We're live, all right? Three things that would just be burning within you, and here they are. You would be personally angry. You're tainting my moment. You would be doctrinally alarmed, okay? And you would be politically motivated. And we'll unpack those all from this text in a moment. So it it is with this in mind, personally angry, doctrinally alarmed, and politically motivated, that we fall into the text. Here we go. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the guards and the Sadducees came up to them being greatly disturbed. We'll find out in a minute because they were teaching the people. That's one. They were teaching the people. Two, and in that teaching, they were proclaiming Jesus of the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them, not to pray over them, all right, but to put them in jail until the next day until it was, because it was already evening. But many of those who had already heard the message, a number of them came to be about First thing I want to highlight here is as they were speaking to the people in the temple there. Real quick, both Peter and John are now speaking. You got that plural pronoun, they, all right? 
So John is talking, Peter is talking, and they are unpacking Peter's message from Acts chapter 3. Interesting note here, we see that it is almost evening, so they put him in jail because you weren't allowed to have a judicial uh, gathering in the evening. So that tells us if they got there at 3 o'clock, it's roughly 6 o'clock now. So this has been going on for a few hours. They fully healed the lame man who was still glorifying God in the middle of a 60-foot megaphone on the side of the temple. Thousands of people are listening, and, and these two guys, Peter and John, get interrupted while they're still unpacking the message. And the captain of the guard comes. The captain of the guard. The captain of the guard is a second power only to the high priest himself. Not only was he second in charge and had all the power outside of the, having the high priest as his authority, the Roman government had given Jewish, uh, the Jewish Sanhedrin the right to police their own temple. You see, Rome really wasn't all that interested in spiritual things. They were interested in power and control. And so it was easier to, to give them the, the authority within the temple walls and, and back that authority. So the temple guard had not only second in command, but he also had the power of Rome behind him as long as there was no rebellion being stirred up. The Sadducees came up to them. This literally means the Sadducees sat on them. The Sadducees fell on them. Like, as I like to say, like hair on a bear, they were all over these guys. And, it, and they were there to terminate their meeting, finish the sentence, effective how fast? Talk to me. Immediately. Effective immediately. Those are never good words, aren't they? Very, maybe once in a while we'll say, hey, effective immediately. You are getting a raise. But that's kind of a rarity, isn't it? When people say effective immediately, I clinch up, all right? Because I know what's coming. So they're going to shut this down rather quickly. So the question rises, Why? These are Jewish men that have every right to be teaching in the temple. Why are they shutting them down? And here is where we start to unpack it historically. The answer is found in who is breaking it up. Notice it is not the Pharisees at this time. It is the Sadducees. Sadducees were very powerful, influential spiritual leadership. I want you to grab that. Powerful, influential spiritual leadership. And the high priest came from their circles. The high priest always came from the Sadducees, not the Pharisees. So here we go. Here's where we're going to begin to dive deep to pop this from the text. The Sadducees, by the way, were very doctrinally liberal. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in a future reward or a future punishment. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in hell. They didn't believe that the soul lived past a dead body. The soul died with the body, all right? They did not believe, by the way, because of that, they do not believe in the bodily resurrection of the dead. In fact, if you turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 18, you don't have to, but you can. It literally tells you the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection of the dead because they don't believe in anything that comes after death. On top of that, the Sadducees were, were mostly arrogant, wealthy landowners. They were arrogant, wealthy landowners who, by the way, were trying to maintain power and wealth. Again, I don't see any application for the American in this text. Do you? I, I, it just, this will not preach, all right? They are arrogant, wealthy landowners trying to maintain their power. So I want to stop for a moment. With all that in mind, okay, this is really interesting, there is a, 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 an additional outside context to add to what we just put into that box. You know, a lot of times we just, we read God's Word and, on some sort of just linear line, but there's a lot going around at the same time. Here's a question for you, and I want you to answer this. Who is the occupying force in Israel at this time? What is it, church? Rome. Benevolent, loving, flexible, occupying force here's a question with what we know about the sadducees so far if you have a place of power and you own large swaths of land 
and you have a lot of money, and there is an occupying force in your country called Rome, what do you think this... Here's the question. Who do you think the Sadducees wanted to be, be happy above all else? What is the name of that country? Talk to me. Rome. Their number one interest was to keep Rome satisfied. The Sadducees firmly opposed any opposition to Rome. In fact, the Sadducees were perfectly fine with Rome being there because it elevated their wealth, power, and control. They were, here it is, political sycophants. I don't know if I said that right. And evil control freaks. I said the word freaks, all right? They were evil control. The Sadducees had very little interest in doctrinal matters based on what you see up there. Very little interest in doctrinal matters. This is why when Jesus was alive and was challenging the spiritual authority of Israel, that most of the opposition, when it came to him saying, I am my father and one, if you've seen me, you've seen my father, he's healing, I am, before Moses, all this stuff. Who were those who were opposing Jesus during his earthly ministry? It wasn't the Sadducees, it was the what? Pharisees, because they were very interested in maintaining that spiritual leadership and control found in the Mishnah and the Torah. But now, it's not the Pharisees, it's the Sadducees. When political power is at stake, when power and control is on the table, the Sadducees really get interested. Here's what I need you to see. If I could sum it all up, the Sadducees were doctrinally liberal teachers who were motivated by politics and power and control of the day. Mm -hmm. Let me say that a different way. Doctrinally liberal teachers who are politically motivated, are we thankful there is no such thing as the heart of the Sadducee in the church today? Oh, they're here, though. They're in the church. They were interested in gaining influence and power in the culture they assimilated to. Here's a question practically. With that definition up there, doctrinally liberal teachers motivated by politics, let me ask you a question. Are there Sadducees practically in the church today? Talk to me, church. Yes. So often, people cry out that there are Pharisees in the church. And by Pharisees, what do we mean by that? What's a word that comes to you when you say, they're being a Pharisee, they're pharisaical. What are some words that come to your mind? Talk to me. Hypocrite. Hypocrite. What's over here? Legalism. (laughs) Mark, you said that Wednesday, and I heard you. He said, they're not fair, you see. (laughs) That would make the Sadducees sad you see. Mark, if you want to dismiss yourself now, we would completely understand. Hypocritical, legalistic, interested in the molehill while while ignoring the mountain. And you want to know what? There's some truth to that. There are some truth to that, and that is sad. We don't want that to be us in the church. But while there are Pharisees, the heart of Pharisees in the church, I would contend that there is just as many Sadducees, Doctrinally liberal people who are politically motivated. Liberals who are motivated by policy. And by the way, it's the Sadducees that tend to point at the Pharisees and the Pharisees that point at the Sadducees. Now, not only are there Sadducees in the church today, let me be clear. Most persecution of the church comes not from atheistic outsiders. Most of the persecution in the church does not come from outside atheistic mindset, but from doctrinally liberal, politically motivated insiders. What we are about to see here is the very first sign of persecution in the early church. Now with that in mind, let's just pump the brakes. Here's the first sign of persecution. And where does it come from? Doctrinally liberal Politically motivated activists. It is by far 
one of the most common opponents of the church today. Now, Rome could tolerate a lot of things. They lived in a Hellenistic culture. They didn't really care uh, who, what, how God you worshipped, although they, they did believe in imperial worship. They could tolerate a lot of things. But one thing Rome could not tolerate is a threat to their complete control. Power, this is a universal truth pretty much, power does not concede power. Now, with all that in mind, with the Sadducees going on, in Rome there, who is Peter and John proclaiming? They are proclaiming a deliverer for who? Talk to me, church. Israel. We have a deliverer, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. We have a deliverer for Israel. Here's where it all comes together, and this is where I think it's beautiful when we study God's Word in depth, all right? And it just comes alive here. Peter and John are proclaiming a Messiah that has come to deliver Israel and was, was resurrected from the dead. Allow all of the Rome and all of the Sadducee background here. There is a Messiah that has come to deliver. He is resurrected from the dead, and they're, they're doing it in a megaphone in the temple at the busiest time of the day, messing up the priest's special moment. This is a threat to the Sadducees politically with their wealth and their land, doctrinally with the resurrection, and financially a threat to their lives. And it is here that we understand the words in a more meaningful way that they fell upon Peter and John. Now take all that we just studied, and I want you to dump it into the next words. They were greatly disturbed. And now we understand the depth behind why they are disturbed. They're, they're angry. This is my moment. This is not my doctrine. And Rome is going to get ticked off. And Rome is the very ones who protect all that I think is important. It's now when we understand this. They were greatly disturbed. Because they were teaching the people, and here it is, you see it right in the text, and proclaiming Jesus the resurrection from the dead. This cannot stand. How hard did they fall on Peter and John? It says right here, they laid hands on them and put them in jail. But it was a little too late. Too little too late because in the same megaphone place, Solomon's porch, right on those same steps, just months ago, Jesus taught in that exact same place. And he taught the message we know today as the Good Shepherd. Jesus taught in the very same place, and he said this. You could almost see Jesus cultivating the ground, planting the seeds, and guess who's going to harvest thousands upon thousands of souls in this moment. Jesus said this. Now watch this is so good. I want you to try and remember Peter's message, resurrection of the dead, name of Jesus, placing your faith, repentance, all that stuff. Let it just stick against those 60-foot columns and let, let 10 weeks go by. And there's, there's the, the disciples teaching what Jesus did just a little bit ago. Grab these words and notice the similarity in the message. He says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus said, in the exact same place. Who lays down his life, that's the crucifixion, for his sheep. So that I may take it up again, that's the resurrection. My sheep hear my voice. And they follow me and I give them eternal life. This is Peter's message right now as well. He's literally repeating the message of Jesus Christ. And look what happened here as they put him in jail. Many of those heard the message and believed because they heard the shepherd's voice. They believed and the number of men alone came to be about 5,000. Now, this is most likely a sum of all the numbers given so far in the book of Acts. 3,000 came to faith in Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Here it grows to 5,000, which means around 2,000 people came to faith that day. And 2,000 people will now head to the pools of Jerusalem to be baptized and unidentify with Judaism and identify with Jesus Christ at a huge cost to themselves. By the way, this is the last time 
It is a, a, a mention of a specific number in Acts on the growth of the church. The church grew too fast from here on out. So now, I know I'm running out of, out of real estate of time. I want to be sensitive here. There is a lot here. With everything you see here, no, 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 no. That, that means go back, go back. Go back. There it is. All right. I want you to take a snapshot of this, okay? Doctrinally liberal leaders motivated by politics, Sadducees, church growth, 2000, interrupted, the good shepherd, the the politics of the moment, the background study. And if you're anything like me, just kind of take a mental picture of that. All right, now click it, all right? Take a mental picture of that, and I want you to just dump all of that into here because it is that that is the gravy that's going to really pop this meat here the next day the rulers and the elders and the scribes this is the sanhedrin okay we got the pharisees we got the sadducees scribes all of that stuff together in jerusalem the high priest was there and his son-in-law caiaphas who was actually the high priest annas was the high priest emeritus and they had their two sons with them all who were of the high priestly descent because it comes from the sadducees it was just kind of a hierarchy they would go up the chain when they had placed them in the center, a half-moon crescent, they put them in the middle, so they were in the middle, began to inquire by what power or name, what authority have you done this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are in trial today because we did something really nice to a sick man, I don't quite understand why we are here, but let it be known that if you need to know by what name we did this really nice thing to this man, it is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, who, by the way, since we're making friends, you killed Whom God, remember Sadducee doctrine, raised from the dead. He's just poking them in the eyes. <laughs> Have you ever had someone who knowingly in, infuriating people? We call that ministry, all right? No. Whom you crucified. Oh, by the way, he's a Nazarene. I just got to rub it into this, the, the open cut now. Whom you crucified, who raised from the dead, by the name of man who stands before you in good health, the great favor, Jesus is the cornerstone which you threw away. Oh, but he became, a cre- uh, the, it became the chief cornerstone of another building. We'll talk about that in a moment. So much here. And there is salvation. Now here's some names for you. And no one else. There is no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we are saved. So with all of that being said, let's explode this. Don't let this moment pass by. There's a great deal of encouragement, information, and lessons on progressive sanctification here. That's a fancy word to say this, progressively becoming more like Christ in your life, and in my life, as time goes by. Look at what Peter says here. Peter knows his audience, by the way. Just, for a minute, just last week, he was using the Torah and Moses and Samuel and Psalms and Isaiah. He's using the Torah because he knows his audience. Peter's in a different room with a completely different audience, and he changes his direction because he knows his audience. His audience are doctrinally liberal, politically motivated people who do not believe in the truth of the resurrection. Look at the bold words Peter uses here. And they are not on accident. Let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene whom you crucified and God raised from the dead. We might say that's really cool now that we know the background. No, this is amazingly cool here because there is an unbelievable backstory that of application on this moment. A lot of times, like I said earlier, we like to study the Word of God in some sort of linear line. I want you to get rid of the linear line and I want you to create a circle, all right? Because there's all this stuff going around in the context that if we know will help us understand how to live today. So let's get that background. Peter knew that they did not want to hear about the Messiah because who does not want a challenge to their authority? What what country, what government? Talk to me. Rome. He knows they don't want to hear about a Messiah, Rome, especially one who has been resurrected, okay, doctrine of the Sadducees, 
Cole says this. Peter, with boldness, hurls a truth like them like a flaming spear. And it will burn. Now, before you go, that is the most cool spear I've ever seen on PowerPoint. I just want to acknowledge it and say, I know. All right? That was 11 hours of my time this week. I hope you appreciate it. All right? I'm joking. Six hours. Now, here's the question. I think I have a question. Yes, I have a question. As we peel back this application, who is Peter speaking to? We've said it a thousand times. It's the Sadducees. We had it summarized in that yellow block. Who is he speaking to? Doctrinally, liberal, politically motivated leaders. Now, with that in mind, who want to keep power at all costs, this same Sanhedrin, who holds political clout, remember this, over Pilate. They can move the hand of Pilate almost as will, because those of you who have been with us long enough understand that Pilate is under, now this is going to be a hard answer, let's see how good we are. Pilate is under what right now from Caesar in Rome? He's under what? Probation. All right? Pilate's already gotten conflict with his leadership, and in the spiritual leadership who is interested, not in doctrine, but in power, know how to move Pilate's hand. In fact, just Eight weeks ago, they moved the hand of Pilate who wanted to release Jesus. I see he's done nothing wrong. I see nothing wrong. He's innocent. He's innocent. He's innocent. And, and, the, and, the, and the Sanhedrin said, we are going to tell Caesar that you are no friend of his. Under probation. And Pilate goes, crucify him. My life or this man's life? In fact, it was the Sanhedrin that said, isn't it better that one man die than a whole country suffer? Oh, the politics there. Aren't you glad politics are gone from mankind now? Now, hopefully this is just opening up like a blooming onion. Hmm. Which is the only way I like onions, by the way. Fried to the point you can't taste it, dipped in sauce that hides all trace of it. Pilate's on probation from Rome. You know the context. Just forced Rome's hand to crucify Jesus just eight weeks ago. I want you to hold on to that. I want you to get into a time machine. I want you to use the flux capacitor. And I want you to go eight weeks into the past. Eight weeks ago, there was a little servant girl. And this little servant girl was in the courtyard of the high priest when Jesus was arrested. And Peter and John, the dynamic duel, were in the courtyard that night, warming their hands by the fire under the cover of night. And this little serving girl who has how much authority? Talk to me, church. None. This little servant girl said this to the same man standing in front of Peter, or standing in front of the Sanhedrin right now, Peter, all right, said this. The little servant girl said, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Look at the language. Jesus of Nazareth, whom you've crucified. The servant girl, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter swore out loud and said, I do not know him. And the rooster crows. Eight weeks ago, Peter denied he even knew Jesus of Nazareth in front of a little girl who couldn't even give testimony in court, who was treated like livestock and sold to increase family stability. And now he stands before the supreme court and authority in Israel, and he boldly throws a spear of truth laced with the resurrection of Jesus Christ to deliver Israel. Here's the question, what happened? What happened in eight weeks? Oh, it is beautiful. You're going to see it in a moment. I just love this moment. How do we get from I do not know him to do what you want with me? You want to know what made the difference? He is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we've unpacked it. Let's get to some application for us. Time is it? 
Okay, yeah, we'll get out soon enough, all right? It's Halloween. We need to fight evil with longer messages, all right? Our growth and boldness, like Peter's here, our growth and boldness for Christ is not found in the approval of this world's politically active, doctrinally liberal theologians. Our boldness and growth is found in the filling of the Holy Spirit, which begs the question, how are we filled? Is it if we really grit our teeth and say, please fill me, Jesus? No. No. The first thing we need to do is distinguish between the filling of the Holy Spirit and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do is we're going to magically take these words, we're going to lift them off the text, and we're going to place them off to the side, and we'll bring them back in a moment. So now we're on a side room here, and we need to distinguish between the filling and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a salvaic term. It is a salvational term. All right? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a permanent, one-time act of God. It is His work, not yours. Can I get a witness? His work, not ours. Amen? Salvation is all of God. That's why He is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end of, of our salvation in our souls. The salvation... At salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells a person and in the ongoing personal ministry, and He seals us until the day of redemption. Scripture provided. It is a salvation issue. But we're not talking about a salvation issue in this text. We're talking about a sanctification issue. Oh, to see it in its context. And the Sadducees' eyes are burning with all that stuff. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a reoccurring act based on our yielding and submitting to God. And since it is based on our activity and not just His, the feeling of the Holy Spirit can be both gained and lost. That's why we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. It can be both gained and lost based on our yielding to God or our lack of yielding to God. It is a sanctification issue. And that is the issue that we are looking here in this text that is filling with Peter as he went from a servant girl to the Sanhedrin, throwing a spear, a flaming spear at the Sanhedrin and running from the fire in the courtyard. It has to do with the control that we give God in our lives. The filling of the Spirit occurs when a believer walks in obedience to God and His Word. Scripture provided. Now, because of this truth, when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit, we must constantly, personally be yielding our lives to God because the truth of the matter is, and I would love for you to affirm this, this might make you smile a little bit, but you know the doctrinal truth that lays behind it. The truth of the matter is, because... We are at war in a sin nature here. We are by nature, when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit, here's your amen, we are by nature leaky people. Amen? We all know exactly what that means. We've all been there. We know what it's like to have great times of victory in submitting to God's Word and, and feeling His presence and living for Him and, and being around His church. And we know what it's like to have great failures and apathy and callousness. Here's a big point here. Never stop filling your life with the power of the Holy Spirit through filling acts of obedience and submission to His Word. Because we are what, church? We are what? Leaky people. In short, when we spend time with God and His Word, praying and submitting to His teaching, his control and His filling. His power is released in our lives like Peter here. And we grow in Him. Now while this is a spiritual principle, it is just as much a practical one. And it is a universal practical truth, which is going to bring me to my first illustration. You are and you will become exactly who you spend the most time with. You are and you will become who you spend the most of your free time with. We are always filling our lives with something. 
We are always filling our lives with something. Just because you're not filling yourself with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you ain't filling your life with something else. We are all full of something. I'll let you figure that out, all right? How how many have ever heard this? You're full of it. Is that a positive thing? No, but we are. We're full of it. Full of something. We are who we spend our time with. And we become that. I remember a time when my daughter Madison started spending time. By the way, I got permission for this, all right? Honey, put your juice jar down and pay attention. No, I'm just teasing. I remember a time when my daughter Madison started spending time with a group of people who like skiing and snowboarding. Now, if you don't know my daughter well, she is not a fan of elevating her heart rate for any reason whatsoever, all right? Again, I got permission to say this. Yet she started spending time with those who like to go up hills and down hills, and all of a sudden she wanted to become a snowboarder. And there's nothing wrong with this. Nothing wrong with snowboarding. Dad, I want to snowboard. I want to cut through the white powdered hills of Belmont, Michigan. Fortunately, we live on the largest hill in Belmont, Michigan. It's about 30 feet high. So I'm looking around. There's two things. I thought to myself, what powdered hills does she speak of? And when did you want to start elevating your heart rate, sweetie? So off we go to get the stuff. No lie, 9.30 at night. How many here have a loved one who when they want something, that means now? Anyone at all? 9.30 at night, we head out. We head out to get that stuff, all right? Here's a pic of her. Yeah, there she is. Please know I teased my daughter relentlessly. Not only with her hand signals here telling me how gnarly she is, but if a snowflake fell outside, I would cry out in the house loud enough for everyone to hear, time to cut the powder. And I tell you no lie, she went down our back hill one time. Because I think she went down that hill and she realized what goes down a hill has to go up a hill. Oh, and by the way, gravity is in full effect when you snowboard as well, all right? That's one of the reasons I don't do it. So what goes down must go up in this case. And by the way, she never snowboarded again. And on a completely unrelated issue, the Boomsmas are selling snowboard equipment at a greatly reduced price in our home. Now you may ask, why do I tell you this? Is it simply to embarrass my daughter? What is the answer, church? Yes, yes, yes. It is the only time a father gets to itch his soul, all right? Now. But there is a primary reason, and the truth stands, all right? We become like the people we spend the most time with. We must spend time with God. We must spend time with God. We must spend time with His Word. We must spend time, here it is, with His people we must be in church, in community, forsake not yourselves, the assembly together. As, a, as you agitate one another under good works, you're filling each other. In fact, when these guys get released from prison the very next day, look at the text, look where they go. They are set free after a long night. It's been a difficult night. Look where they go. They don't go to the football game. They don't go to the lake. They don't go to the sports arena. They don't go to the the office. They don't go to the movies. Look what it says here. When they had been released, they went to... Oh, there it is. They went to their own companions. Now, textually speaking, the 120 that were filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. They went to their own little church. They went where they could continue to be filled because we are leaky people. The false reality that we try to convince ourselves of is that we don't need to be in church. We don't need community with other believers. We don't need to be in God's Word. We don't need to be praying. Is nothing less than a selfish self-deceit that drains us of our effectiveness for Christ. And you know that to be true because those of you and me, those of us who are not actively filling ourselves by spending time with God and His people, we know we're not close. 
In fact, there's a piece of us that don't even want to be here right now. Here's the question. What is your disciplined routine that constantly fills you with the control of the Holy Spirit? Church, Bible study, service, prayer, ministry, accountability. Now, in fact, you might say the scriptures, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. If these are lacking in our lives, this is the reason we are not filled with the Spirit as we should be. And it is the reason we feel so empty in our lives. These things must be constantly present. Start being filled today by spending more time in obeying Christ. Now, now let's, with all that being said, we're going to take those words and we're going to send it right back to the text, all right? Filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to look at this. It's the very next verse. They are amazed and began recognizing them as having spent time with what church? Jesus. You are who you spend. Your time. There is no greater compliment and there is no greater proof of the filling of the Holy Spirit than when people recognize that you are like Jesus because you spend so much time with Him and His people. And the Sanhedrin is the one recognizing this. Here's a question, then we're going to be on our last page, which means we're almost done. Based on this, how filled are you with the Spirit? Being filled with the Spirit and growing in Christ isn't something you wish for. It isn't something you just merely pray for. Well, that is a good thing. It is something that happens when we actively yield our lives to God. And then he says these words here. He is a stone which you rejected by you. You were the builders. But which became the chief cornerstone. In short... Peter says, what you rejected, God vindicated. You took Jesus and you rejected him out of this temple. And God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, made him the chief cornerstone of a new spiritual temple. You want to know who that new spiritual temple is? The church. Everything is built on the immovable cornerstone called Jesus Christ. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, because he has been in the Word, because he has been yielding to its truth, because he has been with God's people, says, you ask me by what name these things are done, I will answer you now. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which is given unto men by which we are saved. This speaks to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. We're going to be done in four minutes. Do not drift. I need you to hear this. This speaks to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Here it is, church. There simply is no one else. All other names don't save. Your hobbies don't save. Your good intentions don't save. Our religion doesn't save. Our doctrine doesn't save. Repentant faith in it saves. We live in a culture that is proud of inclusivity and tolerance, but it is a subtle lie. It is about as subtle lie as the Sanhedrin back then. Our culture is not tolerant, and our culture is not inclusive. You see, when a doctrinally liberal political activist proclaims tolerance, you need to understand that by tolerance they really mean forced conformity. Isn't that what's going on? There is no room for opposing thought in the Sanhedrin. And it is the same today. These Sadducees are interested in one thing, gaining and maintaining power, and they will demand their forced conformity or they will cancel these apostles. Do you see the heart of man floating up here? Cancel culture in first century Israel. Now, I have both an encouragement and an observation here, all right? Could it be that the heart of man is seen in every culture regardless of the time or date? Amen, church? (laughs) Folks, there's nothing new under the sun. It just has new names. So here's the first thing. Don't panic. Our God is on the throne. 
Now next here. There are not many roads that lead to eternity. I would say there are two roads that lead to eternity. Now we'd go two, it says one. Let me use the words of Jesus. Two roads. The first road is a narrow road called faith in Jesus Christ. And the broad road leads, the road of everything else leads to destruction. It is the reason Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. My friends, the church of Jesus Christ cannot lie in the name of tolerance. We teach and proclaim in love and humility the boldness and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. There is no salvation in any other name. Buddha does not save. Allah does not redeem. Atheism does not erase. Humanism does not evolve. Government will not reform. For there is salvation in no other name than Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it. Well, that's not loving. No. That's not a loving message. But my friends, it is the only message. I would contend that it is the personification of love. Because while there is no salvation in anyone else, the good news is there is salvation in Jesus Christ. My friends, if there are ten paths leading to the horizon and nine lead off a cliff, And one leads to the safety of home. What is the loving thing to do? Tell them to pick a road. Tell someone all roads lead home. Or is it the loving thing to tell them? I'm going to be honest with you. It's not even enough to say that there's one road. How loving would that be? Chuck, there's ten roads in front of you. Nine will lead to death. What would your question be? I don't have time for that. No, it's not enough to say one road. We have to point to the road. And anything less than pointing to the new road, begging people through the drawing ministry of the Father to find that one road called Jesus Christ. Church, we are leaky people. We are who we spend the most time with. Fill your life with the Holy Spirit by spending the lion's share of your life with those who will help you stay full. Because you cannot give away what you are not full of. You cannot give the thirsty a drink if you're not carrying the living water. Yield your life to the control of God by submitting yourself to the Scriptures, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And here's my last observation. Those filled with the Spirit will elevate Christ, not their hobbies. Because that is what the ministry of the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit promotes one thing. One thing. Think about this. The Holy Spirit promotes one thing. Jesus Christ. With that alone, are you filled with the Spirit? How often does the name of Jesus Christ get elevated in your actions and your words to those who don't know Him. This is how we identify if the Holy Spirit is active in our midst. Do we personally elevate Jesus Christ with our words and actions? Do I, do you, do we together as a church? Oh, to peel it back. Gracious Heavenly Father, Dismiss us with your blessing. We pray for the puppet houses tonight, Lord. As we are in a culture that celebrates death, may we be filled with your Spirit and offer the only road. May we do it at work and at play. And Father, we acknowledge we are leaky. And the reason we're not close to you is because we haven't been yielding. Chase us. I love you, Lord. I pray this in your special name. Amen. I love you, church. You are dismissed.